privilege to be able to be here once again and be able to share the word of God. You know, God has truly, truly blessed me. Uh, you know, it's, as, as I share my testimony with you, you'll, you'll see what God has done. I mean, I was a man that was totally, totally lost, but yet God has set me free. The title of my sermon is Demon Possessed. I'll be reading out of the book of Luke 8, 27 through 35. How many of you, you know, understand that being demon possessed is real? So many of us think, you know, we watch scary movies. I used to like watching scary movies, you know, Freddy Krueger, all that kind of crazy stuff. You know, I watch, you know, the, the Exorcist, the first one that came out. Some of you guys weren't even born yet, 1970-something. I don't even know when it came out. But, you know, we, I used to watch all this stuff. And, you know, you, you see it and you say, oh, it's a movie. It's a movie. It does, that kind of stuff doesn't really happen. Well, I'm going to tell you that it does happen. Okay, there really is demons out there. It's kind of funny how people will believe in the devil before they believe in God. They trust more in that light switch. You believe, you, you trust that light switch. You know that if you go hit that switch, the lights are going to go on. You trust in that light switch more than you trust in God. And that's a problem. That's a problem that we have in this nation, that we forgot what this nation was created. I'm going to tell you something. I didn't go to school. I didn't finish school because my parents were alcoholics. They really didn't care what I did with my life. And I grew up on my own. But I'm going to tell you something. I've done a lot of research, and I know what this country was built on, and it was built on the Word of God. It was built on Christianity. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the problem is that the Word of God has been taken out of the schools, and it's been taken out of the homes. No longer do we sit down as a family. I do, man. I sit down. I enjoy when I sit down in my house and sit down with all my kids. You know, my kids come and visit me. When you got nine kids and you got five daughters that are married, and you got five son-in-laws, and you got 14 grandkids, I'm going to tell you, I have a good time. I enjoy that. You know why? Because I grew up in a broken home where both of my parents were alcoholics, and they were abusive. And we never sat down and ate. We were lucky if we had anything to eat. Okay? So I'm going to share that with you tonight, because what I'm going to share with you tonight is either going to make you or break you. I guarantee you. Because what I'm telling you isn't a story. It's not a movie that I watched. It's my life, and God set me free. So I'm going to be reading out of the book of Luke 8, 27 through, 20, through 35. And please be patient with me. Like I told you this morning, I didn't know how to read until I gave my life to Jesus. And today, I, you know, I can read, and sometimes, you know, I have a little bit of problems, but we're all right. I ain't no, ain't no shame in my game. I'm doing it all for Jesus. Amen? Amen. It says, and when he, it says, when he stepped out of the, out on the land, there met him a certain man from a city who had demons, okay, from, it says, for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but he, in the tombs. It says, and when he saw Jesus, he cried, he, he cried out and fell down before him. And with a loud voice, he said, what have I, what, it says, what, I'm sorry, what have I to do with you, Jesus, the son this is the son of the most high God. It says, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of this man, for it had often seized him. It says, and he was kept under, under guard, with bound with chains and shackles, that he broke, it says, the bonds, and was driven by, by demons into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion. Because many demons had entered this man. Now, the word legion means 2,000 or more, okay? And, and then he says, I'm sorry, let me get back to where I was here, okay? It says, legion, for we are many. It says, because, it says, and he begged him that he would not command them to go into the deep, to, into Hades. It says, and now a herd of many swines were feeding there, it says, on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter, enter them. It says, then the, the demons went, went out of the man and entered the swines, and they heard violently, it says, it says, a herd ran violently down a steep place and into a lake, and they drowned. And those that fed, him, fed them saw, saw what had happened, and they fled and told it to the city. And as is in the country, and then they went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting and sitting at his feet, the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, 
and they were afraid. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Father God, for your mighty hand upon us, Father God, this evening, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would move upon us, Lord, Father God, that you would minister to each and every one of us, Lord, individually, Father God. Lord, touch us, Lord, and minister to us, Father God, in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. I'm going to tell you something. God moved upon my life. See, this man right here, I'm sure that he didn't plan on being demon-possessed. He didn't plan on running around through the tombs and cutting himself and running around butt-naked. But these demons had, you know, came into him. I'm going to tell you, this man opened the doors to something. And that's what many of us do. We open the doors to the enemy. And we say, oh, no, you know what? I don't do them kind of things. I pray every night. I believe in God. Well, you can believe in God and you can pray every night. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, it means nothing. See, because you need to understand that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus to understand where I'm coming from. I was a man that was full of demons. Okay, I grew up in a home. I would see my father beat my mother every weekend. I seen my mother wait until my father was drunk. She would grab bottles of liquor and hit him in the back of the head, hoping that she would kill him. I see my father and my mother argue one day, and my mother told him to go into the bathroom. And when they went into the bathroom, she pulled out a gun on him. My father grabbed the gun, and she shot him in the hand. And I was just a little boy, and I would sit by the stairs with my brother and my sister, and we would cry. We would cry because we didn't know what was going on. My mother and my father would take off and leave us at home with babysitters. In the process of them leaving us there, at the age of seven years old, I had been molested. As I grew older, I had been molested by someone in the family. Now these things start to come into your mind, and you're saying, okay, who am I? What am I? Am I a man or am I a homosexual? If you've been in that kind of situation, you understand what I'm trying to say. See, it came to the point where I understood. I knew I was a man. But because I understood I was a man, I was full of hate. I was full of hate. There's many of you here that you can say, oh, you know what? I've been through that. I got through that. Or you've never been there. But I'm going to tell you, you might not be through it. You might have not gone through it, but your children may go through it. So you better be careful what you think and what you say. See, it got to the point where I started being so hateful and so bitter that I started hurting people. I got jumped into a gang. I was an active gang member for 20 years. I've stabbed people. I've shot people. I've dragged people out of their houses. There's people in the Tucson church that know me because I moved from L.A. In, in 1983 that when I was a drug dealer in Tucson, that would owe me money, I'd drag them out of their houses. Now, I wasn't a nickel and dime kind of guy. I had bodyguards. I had chauffeurs. I had money. I had the whole thing. But I'm going to tell you something. All that didn't matter because I had no happiness. Growing up in L.A., you know, I, I, I ended up leaving my home when I was 12 years old because my mother didn't want me there. She'd rather be with other men than to have me in the house. So I would take off and run around through the streets. At the age of 12 years old, I got together with a woman that was a dispatcher for the police department. I lived with this woman for two years. By the time I, I turned 15, I, I, I ended up going back home. My mother's father had passed away, and I had to call her and tell her that her father had passed away. She didn't even recognize me. She didn't even know who I was. You know how sad that is to call your own mother and not she doesn't even know who you are? I ended up going back to California because I had left because they were trying to kill me at the age of 12 years old. They tried to kill me because I was, I was an active gang member. I wasn't afraid of anybody or anything. And I was one, you know, everybody was looking for me because I was just, you know, I was out there doing things I shouldn't have been, been doing. At the age of 15, I return. I get more involved into gangs. At the age of 17 years old, I'm so involved into the gangs that, I mean, Everybody that had done me wrong when I was growing up was now going to pay for what I had gone through. You know, growing up, I had gotten jumped and beat up by these other gang members. Now I'm from this gang. So I would go to these older gang members and tell them, hey, man, you remember that little boy you beat up in the streets? No, oh, man, I don't remember. Well, you need to remember because I was that little boy. See, 
I thought that by taking revenge on these people that it would make me feel better. And at the time, at the moment, yes, it did. I'm not going to say it didn't. It did at the time. But now I look back to all these things and you know what? It was just bringing more hate and more bitterness into my heart. My stepfather, my mom ended up marrying this man that was actually, uh, he was from Juarez. My stepfather had already killed four, three or four different men. He had actually caught a man. Uh, he was looking for a man. They had killed his brother and, and uh, they had left him for dead. They had cut his throat from one end to the other and left him for dead. And so when he got better, he started looking for these men. He had already killed a few of them. When he got to Tijuana, he was crossing the border and he got one of the men in the border and cut his ear off and put it in his pocket. Okay, just to explain to you what kind of a man he was. When my mom married him, this was the only man that my, my mom had ever been with that liked me. Now, he liked me because I was crazy. I did some dumb stuff. And, and to him, it was, it, was, it was good. It was okay. This man showed me how to use a gun. I'm sorry. Showed me how to use a, a, a knife. As time went by, you know, uh, my, some of my homeboys would come around. I had this homeboy of mine that uh, had been in prison. He had been in Pelican Bay. He had been on all these prisons in and out. And he had been locked up for a while because he had stabbed a guy in the heart seven times for honking at him. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that the gangs aren't bad out here, but I'll tell you something. In L.A., man, you get caught up in a bad situation, bad street, bad area, you won't come out of it. And so uh, this man honks at him. He stabs him. He ends up going to prison. When this man comes out of prison, he sees my stepfather. Now, he lives next door to us. He says, uh, Frank, how does this guy treat you? Now, you know, I was a young man. I was 17 years old. He was already in his 30s. And he would tell me, look, man, if he ever does anything to you, if he ever hurts you, if he ever says something, you let me know, man, and I'll take him out for you. And so we're from the same gang, you know, and I used to walk around with him. We, we used to, you know, do all kinds of different kinds of dirt together. <laughs> That's what I call it, you know. And uh, eventually one day they got into an argument. My stepfather was putting gas across the street from the house. And uh, as he was putting gas in the car, he was leaning over. And, and my homeboy came and punched him just because he didn't like him. Came and punched him, knocked him out, took his cowboy hat, you know. And, you know, us Mexicanos, you take your cowboy hat, man, it's like, you don't be messing around with that. So he took it real personal. He took it real personal. By the time I got home, my stepfather was standing at the front door with a bottle of tequila a brand new cowboy hat, and he says, hey, man, he goes, have you seen your friend George? I said, no, I haven't seen him. He says, when you see him, you let him know I bought him a brand new hat. He goes, not only did I buy him a brand new hat, he goes, but I have something else for him, and he pulls out a gun. And I said, look, man, what are you going to kill him for? Why don't you guys just go at it, you know, and, and, you know, the best man wins, you know. This guy, I mean, this friend of mine, when he came out of prison, I mean, this guy looked like a bullfrog, bro. He looked like, I mean, his back was about this big. His arms were humongous. I mean, it was something... That would blow your mind. My stepfather was also a pretty, pretty big guy. And so in the middle of the night, my stepfather turns up the music real loud and they live next door. So my homeboy comes to the house. They start arguing. My sister calls me and she says, Frank, she goes, you need to come down. She goes, George and Angel are arguing. You need to stop them. So as I run down the stairs, I start running down the stairs. I'm right behind him when I see my homeboy throw a sarape up. And when he throws up the sarape, he picks up a sod off. Okay. Now, this man doesn't have a shirt on. All he has is a sarape on. He throws the sarape. He picks up the sod off. And when he picked up the sod off, my stepfather was pulling the gun out. And he was actually putting it on the table. But when he seen him pull up the sarape, he started to shoot him. Now, I'm standing behind this man. And I'm watching him shoot this man. This man is turning around. And as he's turning around, the bullets are going in and out of his back. I mean, something like a movie, okay? This man hits the ground. As he hits the ground, I, I grab the keys to the car. I mean, I, I've already, I, I, he's unloaded the whole, the whole clip on the guy. I gave him the car keys, and I said, you have to leave, man, because if you don't leave, my homeboys are coming. They're going to kill you. I give him the keys to the car, and, and he takes off. And as he takes off, I'm holding this man in my arms. I'm calling, you know, I'm trying to get the cops there, an ambulance there. I'm holding him. His mom is walking behind me, and she's crying, and she's saying, my baby. What have they done to my baby? Now, this man is 35 years old. But how many of you understand that no matter how old your child is, that's your baby. That was her baby. 
And I'm holding this man and he's coughing blood out of his mouth and I'm watching him just die. He's, he's dying in my arms. <coughs> I don't know whose water this is, but I'm going to drink it. If you guys got it for me, I ain't no shame in my game either. So this lady's crying because that's her son. I'm holding him in my arms. And as I'm holding him in my arms, he dies in my arms. As the cops get there, they grab me. I'm all full of blood. They don't know what's going on. They take me in. They start asking me questions. I told them what happened. They said, look, when we take you back, rumor is your homeboys are going to kill you. Now, I'm telling you, I lived on Pacific Coast Highway in Vermont. It's one of the biggest streets in L.A. <coughs> there was over 300 gang members there. Over 300 gang members. The whole street was closed off. I lived, right in, I lived in the government projects, but I lived right in the front. They had the whole thing closed off. There's gang members. There's cops there. One of the officers has his foot on top of my homeboy, and he's moving it back and forth, and he's saying, they did us a favor. Can you imagine what that did to that crowd? Everybody went crazy. When they brought me back, they let me out of the car, and the cop told me, he goes, you're on your own. My homeboys called me and they said, hey, Frank, they go, come here, man. They go, your, where's your stepdad at? I said, oh, he's in this other neighborhood. I said, you guys can go down there. You want to meet up with him? You guys can go and take care of business, but I'm not going. Come on, man, let's go. I'm not going. At the end, one of them said, you know what? We don't need to go anywhere. We can take care of this now and here. He opens up his jacket. He pulls out a gun, and as he pulls out a gun, I start breaking through the crowd. As I start breaking through the crowd, I jump into a car and my father gets me out of there. As my father gets me out of there, three days later, I end up in Tucson, Arizona. I end up in Tucson, Arizona, not knowing what's going to go on. Now, you need to understand, you're going from California, big city, to Tucson, Arizona. The only time I ever heard about Tucson was in a cowboy movie. You know what I mean? You know? I'm going down the freeway. I'm used to traffic everywhere. I see a tumbleweed and a coyote running through the middle of the freeway. I said, there's a problem here. You know, I need to go back home. You know, I get to Tucson. I'm in Tucson. I get there in August. By February, I'm married. Because I go and I try to take the, I take the military test. I tell my mother, either you sign these papers for I can go to the Army or I'm getting married. I'm going to show you. <laughs> she showed me. Okay. So I ended up getting married because she wouldn't sign the papers for me to go to the military. I ended up getting married, and by the age of 21 years old, I'm divorced with four daughters. Now, you know that there's some of you guys here that I was 17 years old when I got married. 17 years old. By the time I was 21 years old, I had already had three houses. I had already owned over 20 cars, okay? I was, I was president of a car club in Tucson, Arizona called the uh, Sophisticated Few. I had low riders to throw up in the air. I liked jumping the cars. I used to do all the work myself. You know, I, I, that, that was my thing, you know. I thought that by the more cars I had and the more money I had in my pocket, it was going to bring happiness. Well, it didn't bring no happiness, you know. All they did was leave me divorced with four daughters. I'm raising four daughters. The age of 21 years old, I'm raising four daughters on my own. I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy. I, I, know, I know I see a lot of boys out there, you know. Girls, beware of those guys that tell you, oh, baby, I love you. Oh, baby, you got some pretty eyes. Oh, baby, I, you know, I'll take care of you. for the. I'm going to tell you something right now. Man, you're lying out of your teeth, man. I got six daughters, and I'll tell you, I give my son-in-laws the third degree, and they know it. I ain't playing around. I, my my son-in-laws ain't little. I got some of them are Mexican, and some of them are Samoans and Hawaiians, and some of them are Filipinos, and I tell them straight up, you hurt my daughter, I'll break your legs. You know? I'm going to tell you. I'll slap you with my Bible so hard, you won't know what hit you. You know what I'm saying? You know? So, you know, I'm going to tell you, you know, young men, you out there, man, and, and you out there making a baby, bro, you better take care of that baby. You know, you... you Making a baby don't make you a man. Oh, I got five kids with five different girls. Oh, that makes you a man? No, that makes you a fool. That's what it makes you, okay? 
I'll tell you something. I was 21 years old. I worked. I worked. I've been working since I was 12 years old. I took care of my four daughters. I was a drug dealer, yes, but I worked. I worked every day of my life. My daughters had to be in a daycare because I was a man and they were young girls. I had to have my daughters. I paid, at the time, I used to pay $450 a week for my daughters to be in daycare. I ain't even getting paid that kind of money at them back in them days, you know what I'm saying? But I had my daughters in daycare, you know? I would see my daughters get up in the middle of the night. I'm going to tell you, I had one of my daughters get up one night. We were asleep, and she woke up about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I remember seeing her at the window, and it tore me up to see my daughter crying. Mommy, where are you? While she was out messing around. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't care how bad you think you are. See, because I was hard. But when it came to my daughters, I loved my daughters. As time went on, I got a call one day. I was at work. And I had a police officer show up to my work. And he says, hey, uh, are you Frank Romero? I said, yeah, I'm Frank Romero. He says, I have some news for you. I said, what's that? He goes, your mother's been murdered. She's been shot with a 12-gauge shotgun in her face. Now, you tell me how a man that's never had his mom around him, a man that, you know, she's never said that she loved him, is supposed to have any kind of hope after his mother's dead. Huh? How would you feel if you had to go see your mother in a metal table? How would you feel if you had to go to your mother's house and go pick up some of the stuff that she bought for your brother's child and, and your sister's child and your own children and take pieces of her face off that stuff. That's what I did. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. That's something hard to do. You know, I, all I did was get born to drugs, born to alcohol, feel sorry for myself. I hated myself. No longer was I going to have that chance that, you know, that my mother would tell me that she loved me. You know, my mother never said she loved me. Never. My mother never held me, held me tight, and she never held me close. Every time that I would try to get close to her and hug her, she would push me away and say, get away. No seas empalagoso. Stop being so sweet. See? And I really feel that she was that way because she had been rejected. As a child. She had been pushed away as a child. And that spirit had fallen upon her. And that had made me so hard that I didn't want anybody to hug me. I didn't want anybody to hold me. When somebody would come up to me to hug me, I'd push him back. And I'd say, man, what's wrong with you? Don't be hugging me. You ain't my father. You ain't my mother. The day I buried my mother, I couldn't cry. I had a lump in my throat, but I couldn't cry. I hated myself for not being able to cry for a woman that had given birth to me. I knew she was my mother. I loved her no matter what. My father would say, Say al diablo o el demonio es tu madre. She could be the devil. She could be a devil or a demon. She's your mother. Now, my father was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, one minute he loved me. The next minute, he hated me. One day, he hugged me. The next day, he would beat me. The day came when he hit me, and I told him, you ever touch me again, and I swear to you, I'll kill you. My father looked at me, and he knew that I meant what I was saying. He understood that, you know what, he was no longer going to touch me. As time went on, I was... Turning into a very abusive man, I was very hateful. And like I said, I would drag people out of their houses. Eventually, I ended up meeting this young girl. She's a little country girl. And some of you guys heard me uh, mention her this morning. My wife's five foot tall. She says she's five one, but she's five foot tall. Okay? That guy's got to throw that one inch in there, you know? She's a beautiful little white girl. She's blonde. You know, she has naturally blonde hair. And uh, she's to me, she's the cutest thing in the world. Man, she scares me. I'm going to tell you, I'll fight 10 gang members before I get into an argument with her. You know what I mean? 
Ain't no joke. But I'm going to tell you something. When I met my wife, my wife's the sweetest thing in the world. She would tell me, you can change. How, do you, how can you say that I can change? You don't know what I've been through. You don't understand. I've been beaten. I've been abused. I've been molested. As a child, I see my mother dead. How can you tell me that I can change? How can you tell me that I can be a better man? Do you understand what I've done? Do you understand what I've been through? You've never been through what I've been through. My wife didn't drink. My wife never used drugs. She didn't even smoke a cigarette. How could she understand 20 years of doing drugs, 20 years of being an alcoholic? See, she couldn't understand. But the thing was that I was so hateful and so bitter towards women because of what my mother had done to my father and because of all the years that she had pushed me away and then because of what my ex-wife had done to me. I hated women and I held that hate against my wife. Even though she was a good wife, a faithful wife, you guys need to be careful. You need to be careful out there. Don't take for granted what you have. I'm going to tell you, I started to beat my wife. I started to be an abusive husband. There was nothing that she could tell me that I just, I mean, I wouldn't backhand her for it. I started being abusive to my children. I started being hateful towards everybody in the street. Nobody could say anything to me. I could drag somebody out of a restaurant no different than I could drag them out of a store. It didn't matter to me. Now, it's not like I've always been a big guy. I've always been the same size. I was talking to one of the guys, my, one of my boys says, he says, Dad, it's not my fault you have the body of a 12-year-old. Well, that's okay. At 50 years old, I'm all right with that, okay? But I'm going to tell you something. You know, I was so full of hate. I wanted somebody to love me. And she was trying to love me, but what I was doing, it was I was imparting hate into them. See, when I met my wife, she had this beautiful smile. She had this joy. She had all this life. I seen it in her. And I wanted what she had. But how many of you understand that you'll make somebody miserable before you make them happy? I made my wife miserable. I made her learn how to hate me. She wouldn't leave me because she loved me. But she hated me. See, sometimes we can't understand that. But people can love you and hate you at the same time. They love you because you're the father of their children. They love you because they know that there's something good in you. But they hate you because they know you're a jerk. Man, I'd say something else, but I'm saying you, brother. But she stu stood by my side. She stood by my side. It didn't matter what was going on. She stood by my side. She continued to love me. No matter what. She would pray for me. You need to understand. I was not into church. You know. She would have, you know, all these people. And she'd have Mormons come to the house. And they would tell me about seven heavens and five hells. And, you know, they would tell me about Joseph Smith, some man that was walking through some wilderness, you know, and, you know, started his own thing. And they were all, all good with me. It didn't matter to me. Because as long as they made her happy, you know, I'd be outside of my house. And I'd be cooking some steaks. And I'd be drinking and getting high. And they'd come. And I'd be doing a blast in front of them and drinking a beer. And it's like, hey, man, you want a piece of meat, bro? Here you go. It didn't matter because they wouldn't judge me. They wouldn't tell me what my sin was. They weren't confronting me about my sin. You know, they would come to the house and I'd let them come to the house. It was kind of, kind of funny because then they started talking to me about baptized, getting baptized, you know. And I said, well, what do you guys do? You got to wear this big old long white sheet. And I said, well, I'll look like, I'll look like the KKK. You know what I mean? It's all good. You know, first time I get to wear a white sheet. No, I'm just kidding. You know, and I said, yeah, no problem. We get to the church, and I'm going to get baptized, guys. I'm going to get baptized in the Mormon church. I'm going to give me a 10-speed and a tag with my name on it. You know what I mean? I'm like, man, if I can't steal it, I'm going to get it for free. I'm going to do something, you know? So I show up. I get there. And when I get there, me and my wife start to argue. And I said, that's it. I'm not going to be Elder Frank. <laughs> I'm going home, <laughs> you know? I'm not going to do this kind of stuff. I know you want me to change. I know you say I could be a better man, but I don't think I could do this. 
I end up going back home. I start going through some head trips, you know. You know that, that the devil man attacks this. He attacks the mind. You know, the littlest things in the world are just like a little hamster, you know. You see your husband saying hi to a girl. Yeah, he's already cheating on me. I know he is. He don't even know her. You know, he's just giving her directions how to get to some place, you know. You know, and you guys are the same way. You know, you guys, you know, my wife, I, I seen her hold that guy's hand. He shaked that brother's hand and took a little bit too long. You know, come on, man. If you can't trust your wife, and I go, this goes for all you guys. If you're with a girl and you can't trust her, you might as well not be with her. And women, if you're with a guy, you can't trust him, you might as well not be with them, okay? You need to be able to trust people. My wife's in Tucson right now, and I'm here. You know, and she's a lot cuter than me, okay? I want to tell you something. You know, she says, you can change. You can be a better person. I was like, man, there's no way. There's just no way. Time goes by, and in 1995, I, I wanted to change. I wanted to be a better man. I wanted to be a better father. Who doesn't want to be? A, you know what? You see your father, and you say, beware, man. You say, I'm never going to be like my dad. Woo! That's the one you're going to end up being like. I'm never going to be like my mom. Hmm? Ten cuidado, because that's who you're going to end up being like. You know what I'm saying? You know, when your parents are saved, it's all good because you know that they're saved. And you know you want to be with them. You say, man, I want to be like my daddy because my dad's a good man. A man that invests into his family is a good man. A woman that invests into her marriage is a good woman. That's what I wanted. You know, because I'd see, you know, fathers knows best, you know. The, you know, the Brady Bunch. You know, I know he's gay now, but, you know, it's just say, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, we didn't know back then the Brady Bunch was cool, you know. You know. And so I wanted to be like that. You know, I wanted to be that guy that, you know, tie and the whole bit. You know what I mean? And like I said, you can put a suit on a monkey. It's still a monkey. You know what I mean? But that's what I thought. I thought that if I could be like them, everything would be great. And I wanted that. But it just wasn't happening. I couldn't do it. So it got to the point in my life where I got so depressed that I committed suicide. In 1995, I committed suicide my wife had taken me to the hospital, and when I, when I got to the hospital, my heart stopped. They tried to revive me. They were pumping out my stomach. They were, you know, shocking me, trying to bring me back, and they couldn't bring me back. The doctor was already getting ready to give up on me, and as he was getting ready to give up on me, a nurse walked in, and, she, you know, he says, you know, this man is done. He says, you have to try one more time. He says, he's got a lot of little ones. They need their daddy. He says, we're going to try one more thing. He says, if this doesn't work, we're done. You know, they had given me a shot, I think, of a adrenaline, I think it is. And they had shocked me and my heart started to beat. Listen to this. We're talking about demon-possessed, okay? Listen. When they shocked me, like I said, I've always been this small. My wife said that I jumped up to, on, the, on the bed. I grabbed the doctor from his throat. Just want you to see my arms. <laughs> Grabbed him from his throat and threw him over the bed, okay? Another doctor came. She says it took eight doctors to hold me down, okay? I went into a slight coma. We're talking about demon-possessed. Went into a slight coma. About a couple of days later, I wake up. My wife thought I was goner. This woman is laying next to me. Think about what I'm saying, man. I'm an abusive husband. I'm a total jerk, yet this woman is laying next to me, waiting for me to wake up. She's got to love me. She's got to love me. As I'm laying there, I wake up. They got me tied down, forehead, chin, chest, you know, belly button, you know, the whole bit, you know. They got me tied down, and they got me like this with a little sheet over me, you know. I wasn't going to go anywhere anyways, you know what I mean? And so they had me laying there. I remember waking up. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you, oh, I seen the light. I didn't see no light, you know. I seen darkness, brother. That's what I seen. I was in a dark place, and I remember this clearly. I remember standing in a dark place, and I remember looking around me, and I was like, man, where am I? Where am I? One thing I seen for sure is that I didn't see the light, but the light was around me. Okay? I didn't give my life to Christ then. 
I left that hospital with a walker and an oxygen tank because of the drugs I had taken, I could no longer walk on my own or breathe on my own. My wife would take me out. She would tell me, you're not going to end up that way. She would take me out. You know, she had her little times like a little puppy dog. She would take me out, and I'd be with my little, you know, going along. And then, you know what I mean? Until I was able to do it on my own, you know? She'd take it off and, okay, put it back in. You know, you know until I was able to do it on my own. Once, I, once she seen that I was fine, I didn't, I didn't change my life around. I didn't say, oh, man, praise God. I'm going to be a better man now. I seen the light. I know where I was. Oh, my God. You know, heck no. I went back. I grabbed me a big old fat joint, stuck it in my mouth, smoked it, and drank me a big old bottle of wild turkey and drank me a 12-pack of Budweiser. Went back to who I was because there was no true conversion in my heart. I was still the same person. A day came that my wife had uh, picked me up from work, and she said, Frank, she goes, I got this flyer. She goes, I got this flyer. They invited me out to this, to this drama, and, and I'd like to go see it. And I said, you know what? I'm not into that Christianity stuff. I don't want to hear all these Bible thumpers. You know, all they're going to do is tell you about God. I don't want to hear about their God and their hallelujah and all this stuff. And she goes, oh, you know, I really want to go. And I said, look, if you want to go, we'll go. But you can go and listen to all this stuff. I'm going to stay by my car, and I'm going to smoke me a cigarette, and you go do what you got to do. We get there, and she walks off. She goes, and she sees the play. I don't know if she prayed. I don't know if my kids prayed. I don't know what happened there, but I stood where I was. This man came up to me and says, man, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And I said, man, I don't want to hear about you or your Jesus Christ. You need to step back, or I'm going to knock your teeth out, bro. Your Jesus has never been there for me. This man walked away. You know, he's a real good friend of mine. He's in San Diego. He's a pastor in San Diego now. He walks away and he says, it's okay, man. I remember this other man coming up to me and saying, hey, man, what kind of work do you do? He started talking to me about work. And, and as he started talking to me about work, another man came. And it was now it's, that's Alfredo Barron, which was a pastor in Mexico City. And he says, so what kind of work do you do? So we started talking about work. And, and he, right, I said, you know what, I got to go now. And as I had to leave, he says, hey, man, can I do something? Can I pray for you? I said, you want me to pray? And he's like, no, 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 no. Let me pray for you. I said, well, you knock yourself out, bro. Don't get burned when you touch me. You know? And he prayed for me. A few days went by, and I don't know what happened, man, but this guy showed up to my house. I could see him. You know, I had like a tinted window at my house, big old window. And I said, go tell him I'm not here. You know? My kids ran out there, and they go, my dad said he's not here. You know? I didn't work out, you know, so then I had to go out there. I go out there, and as soon as I get out there, I, you know, I get there. I said, man, I'm going to get rid of this Bible thumper. So I roll me a big old joint, you know, the biggest joint I could roll. And I go out there, man, I got this big old blunt in my mouth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I thought I had it going on, you know. And everywhere he'd move, I'd blow the smoke at him, <laughs> you know. And he was, I mean, he just moved. He wouldn't say anything to me. He just moved to one side and moved to the other. I was like, man, you know. You know, get rid of this guy somehow. But he wouldn't leave. He just wouldn't leave. And before he would leave, every time he'd go, can I pray for you? I said, you go for it, man. Do what you got to do. So he would pray for me. This man continued to do this for a while. As he continued to do this, he says, uh, one day he says, hey, man, he goes, I'd really like to invite you out to my house for lunch. There's a catch with Christians, man. You don't get to play basketball and eat and not get some of this. Difference is, brother, you get the dessert first, all right? <laughs> and so I end up, you know, asking my wife if she wanted to go. I said, I don't think she wants to go, bro. My wife's Catholic, you know? And he's like, I ask her anyway. I don't think she likes you guys, bro, <laughs> you know? And I was just trying to make an excuse not to go. And, and she's like, yeah, I want to go. I was like, hey, you don't have to say that, you know? So we end up going. We end up going, we start going to church, and as we're going to church, I have these people, you know, that, you know they, they bring you as a visitor, they send you like right there, you know what I mean? You know, and I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a homeboy, I'm a cholo, you know what I mean? My, you know, I need room because my pants are this big, you know, and my shirts are long, you know, and I got my bandana, and, you know, I'm kicking back, and I, and I need some elbow room, and they're sitting me right there, you know, if I could, the preacher could see me. You know, it kind of feels like they're speaking to you. You guys feel that way right now? That's okay. <laughs> I am talking to you. <laughs> yeah. 
And so, you know, and that's the way you feel. And so they bring me there, and I got all these people praying, and, and, you know, I see them praying, and then they would reach out to me. You know, not that I look crazy or anything. I just had, like, five earrings coming down, a bandana on my head, a Fu Manchu, you know, with a long braid down to here. You know what I mean? I didn't look crazy at all. But they would reach out and pray for me. And so I started to cuss them out. I told my wife, There's, these people can't be praying for me. They're doing, they're doing witchcraft. You know, I know this ain't a godly thing. They said, these guys are doing witchcraft. I'm not going to sit here no more. She's like, Frank, don't say that. They're not doing witchcraft. They're godly people. I said, no, look, all these Bible thumpers here, they're lying. They're this witchcraft. I know it is. So then I would come to church, and I tell her, look, if you want to come, we can come. But I'm not sitting down. I'm going to stand on that corner. So we would come to church. Now, I get invited, and there's those of you that know Marty Carnegie, I'm telling you, Marty Carnegie can tear it up. He's my kid, Theo Negro. I tell everybody because that's what he says. He's Theo Negro to them. He comes, and he's preaching the word of God. Now, you need to understand the night before I had gotten so, you know, God was convicting me. God's hand was upon me, and I know that, but at the time, I didn't understand that. I started to yell at God one day. I was outside of my house. You know, I was smoking a joint, and I just said, you know what? You ain't real. Show me if you're real. What kind of a God would allow a child to get abused? What kind of a God would allow a child to get molested? What kind of a child, what kind of a God would allow a man to be abused the way I was? You ain't real. Show me if you're real because I've never seen you. I see my mother get beaten. I see my father throw my mother out of the house butt naked. How can you be that God that they say you are? You're not real. Because if you were, you would have been there for me. Show me. I go to this service and this man is preaching the word of God and I'm telling you, he's preaching like this and I'm standing right in that corner. And as he's preaching, he would turn around and look at me. And I said, man, what's this guy looking at? You know? And so he continues to preach and he looks at me again. I said, me and this brother going to get it home. You know, I know something's going to happen. You know, I thought I sold some bad weed or something. You know, maybe we came from Jamaica and stuff. I don't know, you know. And so Brother Marty continues to preach. And he looks at me the third time and he says, in the middle of a sermon, he says, I have to do this now. And I remember that exactly. He turned around and he looked at me and he called me. He says, you, come here. And, you know, and thinking that I was cool and you know, I wasn't going to be afraid of anybody because I wasn't going to show all them people I was scared. You know, I kind of like, you know, have my little, uh, you, know? you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if you guys still walk like that, but I did. You know what I mean? Because I thought I had it going on, you know. And then kind of like, you know, we had the little, you know, the you know, cholos be having that little, you know. And so I walk all the way up to him. I say, I want to see what this guy has to say. And he says to me, he says, you want to know if God is real? He says, I have something to tell you. He says, I don't know what it means, but you know what it means, and God knows what it means. This man leans over, and he starts to whisper something in my ear. And as he starts to whisper in my ear, I start getting flashbacks of things I had done. Now, I had shot people. I had stabbed people. I had done home invasion. So all these things are going through my mind real quick. I just kind of stepped back, and I said, bad high. You know, we're always finding an excuse for everything, right? I'm bad high. I mean, I'm good. He continued to, to uh, tell me, he says, do you understand that the same, way, the, the same way people follow you for the devil, they're going to follow you for Jesus Christ? And I started to laugh, you know. I said, this man doesn't know who I am. And he goes, you need to understand, he goes, that God is going to use you. You have a calling to be a preacher. Then I really started laughing because I said, I don't even know how to read, <laughs> you know. I barely know my ABCs and one, two, threes, and this guy says, I'm going to preach. How can I preach when I don't even know how to read? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've been through? God can't use someone like me. I'm a nobody. My family told me I was a nobody and that I'd amount to nothing. And you're telling me that people are going to follow me? That's a lie. I said, are you done? He just kind of laughed, laughed it off and... I walked away and it stood back where I was. I challenged God. I'm going to tell you, if you want to change in your life, you need to challenge God. 
God will take you up on that challenge. I called out on God when I was in that corner, and I don't know if anybody's seen me, but I called out on God, and I said, is that all you have? Is that all you have? I beat my beautiful wife every day. I'm a drug addict. I'm a drunk. I hate the world. Can you set me free? Can you take that away from me? Because if you can take it away from me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And I felt God hit me in my knees and I fell on my knees and I cried out to God. And I said, Lord, if you can change me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. God touched me. God touched me. That moment he touched me and set me free. I'm not going to tell you that that's going to happen to you, but it happened to me. I got up because I wanted a change. I wanted something different in my life. I wanted to be the father that my father wasn't to me. I wanted to be that husband that he wasn't to my mother. That's who I wanted to be. But how could I be that man when nobody had ever shown me how to be a man? God showed me how to be a man. I gave my life to Jesus that night, night, June of 1996. I gave my life to Christ. He set me free. I've never touched another drug. I've never touched alcohol again. I've never touched my beautiful wife. My kids have never even heard, heard me say a cuss word. I have a daughter that's 16 years old. She was born, raised, and born in the church. You know, the first time she seen me get mad, she looked at me and she laughed. I mean, she seen me yell. She, she just looked at me and started busting up. You know what that showed me? That I was a fool. You know? That showed me I was a fool. Showed me how foolish I must look. I must be making like all these faces. You know what I mean? All your weird old faces. No one. I'm not laughing at my dad. Look at him. He looked dumb. You know? Think about it. My kids call me. You need to understand. I have five daughters that are married. I have a daughter. My daughter, Ayida, she's, she's the blessing to me. My daughter's 22 years old. She's married, has a good marriage, good husband. I love my grandson. I call my grandson every day, you know. I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm a pastor, I preach, but she, man, when she speaks to me, I, I just, she encourages me. She encourages me because I see what God has done in my life. You know, my, out of all my kids, I my, my oldest daughter, I was sharing Pastor Glenn today. My oldest daughter is 31 years old. She runs a clinic in Tucson. She runs a whole clinic. She's a nurse. My second oldest daughter, she's a caregiver. She's married to a man. He owns his own electrician company and and they're serving God in Tucson. And I have another, uh, my third daughter, she, she works for a university of acupuncture. I don't know about that one. But she works in a university. She went to school. She finished school. That's what she goes for. I have my, my fourth daughter. She's uh, stationed. Her and her husband are stationed in, in, uh, in California there. He's in the Army. My other, uh, my, my older son, just go by ages. My older son goes to the U of A in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, he's has I think I believe he has four more years to go. He's going to be a doctor. My second oldest son has just taken his test to be a Tucson police officer. My daughter Aida, her and her husband are stationed in, in Virginia. You know, like I said, she's a true blessing in my life. My daughter, Aisha, is 16 years old, and she's getting ready to graduate in a couple of years. And you know that even the, the school that my kids graduated from, when I got sent out to be a pastor, you know, where they announced us, they announced seven of my kids from there that they had, they had graduated and got their high school diplomas. I've never graduated from anything. I've never had any kind of degree. But when 
when I was sent out to pastor, you don't, you don't understand what that did to me. If you're, if you're a pastor here, or if you've ever been sent out, or you're, man, don't take it for granted. And if you're not, and it's in your heart, man, don't take it for granted. Because it's one of the best places to be. It's one of the best places to be. I get to minister to you. You get to hear my story. I can make you laugh or I can make you cry. But it's making an impact in your life some kind, some way. You, you got to understand, we're doing all this for Jesus. I mean, he died for us on the cross. And we're able to share the word of God and the love of God. If you're not grateful for what God has done in your life, you, I'm telling you, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, man, you need to be grateful you woke up this morning because no one's promised tomorrow. And I look at my kids, and I'm so grateful for my kids. I'm so grateful for my grandkids. You know, I wake up in the morning. I don't know how you guys are, man, but I'm a real lovey-dovey with my wife, you know what I mean? I wake up, and I see my beautiful wife laying next to me, and she's got long hair, so she's got it all over the place, you know. And I be looking at her, I'm like, man, she's looking fine, you know what I mean? You know? I, I know I'm blessed. I know I'm blessed. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful. If you don't look at your wife like that, poof, you better start looking at her. Because if you don't, somebody else will. You understand what I'm saying? You know, ladies, you need to start honoring your husbands and love them. You know? Because if, you're, if your husband's a man of God, you need to respect that. And for those of you that are here that aren't saved, man, you got to give God a chance. Because I'm going to tell you something. Like I said earlier today, Give God six months of your life, the devil will always take you back. You know what I mean? It's not like he's gonna say, No, I don't want you. You're not, you don't fit in. No, no, he'll take you. He'll take you. It don't matter if you're all messed up and you're jacked up, you walk funny, he'll take you. It don't matter. He don't care if you're cute or not. You know, the uglier the better. You know what I mean? You know, one thing about getting saved is that God makes you cute, you know? You know, because I know I looked ugly when I was insane. Man, you know. God, God changes you. God sets you free. You know, you're here tonight. You're here to, you know, to, to come and play this game. I'm going to tell you something. It's not a coincidence that you're here. God has you here for a reason and a purpose. You know, this crazy man behind the pulpit is ministering the word of God, and you're saying, man, he's crazy. Oh, he's funny. But I'm going to tell you something. A seed has been planted in your heart. You can run all you want. You can run up and down them courts. But you know what? You can't get, you, you just can't shake off Jesus. Because once Jesus touches you, I'm going to tell you, there ain't nothing better than Jesus Christ. Amen? I like every head bowed and every eye closed in reference to our Lord Jesus Christ.